Welcome to Travel Unites Us, a podcast featuring stories straight from the heart of travel. I'm Aaron Schlein, and I'll be your co-pilot on this journey. My friend Rich D'Ambrosio and I started Travel Unites Us to share the human stories from real travelers, stories that get to the heart of who they are and what they do. Rich will be your host on this episode. Be sure to check out TravelUnitesUs.com for all the latest from the Travel Unites Us community. We're going to go live in a couple seconds. Okay. So uh, it's going to be very casual. This is going to be so cash, as my kids say, cash dad. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, okay. I think we are live. Cool. Hi. Hi. How are you doing? Uh. Pretty good, hanging in there. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, we yeah. <laughs> we have an extraordinary person um, who's going to be talking to us today about travel, about um, not only the the advice that you need right now as you think about travel and, and you think about the current situation we're in, and and also the kinds of travel when things get back to normal that Ashley does. But this is a woman who has served our country. Her husband is currently serving our country. And she has always kind of put herself in the position of serving others. And today she has formed a group of like-minded entrepreneurs who are trying to replicate Ashley's success. And I'm gonna use that word success. I don't care what's going on today. Um, Ashley's success in trying to figure out a way to create incremental income for a family, a military family, because what most Americans don't realize is that our service people, um, not only are they underpaid, but when you look at their household income and the challenges of being a family that travels with someone um, as they get deployed around the United States or over to Europe or Asia, is that the opportunity for that individual to add to the family's income, to supplement the meager income that we provide to to too many of our service members, Ashley's trying to figure out a solution for that problem. So we're gonna talk a little bit about that today. But first, Ashley Matesh McCoy, how are you? (laughs) Well, thank you for that introduction. Um, Doing good. Uh, We are, um, we we live in California now, so no complaints here. Uh, The weather's been pretty rainy though, sort of a weird California rainy two weeks, but uh, (laughs) But yeah, like you said, it's just, um, um, I'm glad you used the word success because every day is different nowadays, isn't it? <laughs> yes, it is. Every single day. Sometimes it's like the mornings are different than the afternoons. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. It's crazy. Um, just trying our trying our best to keep our chins up and, um, you know, uh, yep. taking it day by day. So, <laughs> so Ashley, you, you have served the, in the American military. Can you tell us a little bit about where you served, for how long, what you did, where you were deployed? Sure. Um, so I joined right out of high school just so I could get money for college. Um, and this was just six months after 9-11. Uh, I, I was raised in a military family, so to speak. So it was kind of like, this is the way you pay for college. We don't, we don't do, we don't have any other backup plans. So if you want to go to college, this is what you do. Um, and uh, I primarily was in the reserve component national guard. 
um, but I was activated a handful of times throughout my service. Um, I served technically from 2002 to 2014, though 2014, Mm -hmm. the last couple of years were inactive. Um, Throughout that time, I did go to Afghanistan once. It was 2006 to 2007, and that's where I met my dear husband. (laughs) Um, And, uh, you know, it's such a romantic place for (laughs) relationship beginnings. Um, (laughs) Thanks for a great story. (laughs) Yeah. Well, yes and no, because you're not technically supposed to date there. So we'd always have to, like, pretend, like, oh, you're going to go eat dinner at the chow hall at (laughs) 6 Let's just randomly meet each other there, you know, there weren't like dating venues or so really what it did was it forced us to be really good friends and to be really sneaky um, <laughs> early on in our relationship. Um, but yeah, we were there together for a year and, uh, and we're still going strong. I mean, we, you know, every marriage is a marriage, but, um, but yeah, it was, it was kind of interesting that fate led me to my soulmate in Afghanistan. Um. <laughs> and, and how is that narrative about your military career um, relevant to your family's um, military career, your, your family's military narrative? Um, well, I mean, like, like many uh, people who have, um, like many people I had service me- or had family members who served in World War II, um, but there wasn't, uh, any service really between World War II and I think the 80s or 90s is when my stepfather joined. I think it was the 80s. Uh, yeah, it had to have been the 80s. Um, and uh, so um, I don't know that that's relevant, but yeah, like there's a lot of pride in the World War II side of the generations. Right. Um, and then there was sort of a gap. So I'm not like some military families where it's like every generation has served but um, I grew up as a military brat with my stepfather serving. Um, I got to live places like Italy as a kid. And what's so cool about that, I, I still can't even believe it. Like in fourth grade, we would take um, long weekend trips to Florence as a <sighs> class. And before we would go, the teacher would make us learn all about the Renaissance artists. And at each stop, like we'd have to take turns talking about the significance of what we were seeing. And I was like, the geekiest, nerdiest kid in the class about that. Everybody else probably hated me because I was like, I know the answer, you know, like every time. Um, and ever since then, I, you know, I've just been obsessed with uh, architecture and art history and um, definitely is what led to my career in travel. Um, but, but yeah, so like I had that formative time as a military brat Um living all over the country, experiencing, even just living all over the country gives you a lot of perspective that you might, if you've never moved. Um, And um, I guess it also has helped me uh, because helped me or made me go crazy one or the other. Um, You know, now being a military spouse, we still move every two to three years. So number one, like I'm just used to this nomadic lifestyle Number two, sometimes I hate it. I'm like, I just want to settle down finally. But number three is like, I don't know if I actually could. I might go stir crazy after being somewhere longer than three years. Um, And my daughter is six right now. So I feel like as she gets older, um, I will have known what it's like to pick up and move and leave your friends and go to a new school. So I'm hoping that will also help 
me to empathize with her and help her to make the best of the situation. So there's definitely a lot of parallels. Um, but yeah, uh, my husband's side of the family, they're the ones that are like every generation has served. And so it's a little bit of a different story there, but, um, at the same time, um, I also think like that's sort of how America has evolved. Like most of the military people now, or I don't know the statistics, but most service members have are coming from a soldier warrior class. It's yes. almost there's a warrior class developed. Um, it's very interesting that there's not a lot of civilians who have a civilian history that jump into that lifestyle. Um, right. And I could understand why it's totally foreign. Like, yeah, it's, it's foreign. It's a sacrifice. <laughs> I don't know that we have a society today that that sees those kinds of sacrifices as you know the the honorable, noble, um, and and career oriented. I live right next door to the United States Military Academy. I did not serve. My father was sixteen. Um, he was sixteen at the end of World War II, so they would only take him in the Coast Guard, but. Three of my mother's brothers served. One was in the Marines and two were in the Navy, but they, the two in the Navy were separated by the oceans. One was in the Atlantic and one was in the Pacific. And, um, you know, my, my godfather was, uh, he served in the Pacific and there were things that he saw that he said just flat out to us. No, I don't want to talk about what yeah. I did because I, it's the memories are too harsh. <clears throat> yeah. And, uh, you know, Growing up with someone who I adored, he was a wonderful man, he and his wife, uh, as my godparents. I wonder what stories he would have told me if I'd have, you know, figured out a way to get it out of him. But he just, it wasn't what he wanted to do. And the other two brothers, I never really knew them very well. In fact, the one who was in the submarine in the Atlantic did not do well when he got back. He was, mm. he was a troubled man. Um, I can imagine being in a submarine. Oh, in World War II, no less. Yeah. yeah. Yep. So... You, you traveled a lot. You grew up in Italy. How much of this relates to your current profession? I mean, it's, it's all so relative. Um, I, I started off, uh, well, I started in the travel industry, actually working for Carnival Corporation. Um, it was my first job outside of the military and outside of, I had gotten an MBA at the George Washington University in D.C., um, so it was my first like real, real job, not real job. I yeah. It's okay. I know what you mean. I mean, at the time I had been in the army for like what, 10 years. It was my first non-military, non-civilian job. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, and I worked in competitive until I started a competitive intelligence program and got to know the vacation landscape very uh, well. That was my job, um, specifically the cruise industry. And much to my surprise, um, at the time, this was in 2014, where I started working there, um, I, I started to realize how relevant travel agents still were, because whenever I would do my travel, of course, I would do it myself, because number one, I'm used to traveling, like I have a lot of confidence traveling the world, so planning for unknowns is sort of okay for me, but um, the cruise industry in particular is so dependent on travel agents. And so that really like awoken this idea in my head, like, oh, wow, this is, you know, and then learning what travel agents were doing at the time, especially like the really successful ones who are doing specific niche niches and, you know, whether it's luxury or 
very specific niches. Like I, I'm always fascinated by the people who focus on um, polyamorous travel and things like that. It's like, I wish <laughs> I could, you know, I wish I could be that passionate about one particular subject where I could like niche down that much. Um, but yeah, like how cool is that where you're like, yes, I'm really into polyamorous travel. Like I'm all about it, you know, that type of thing. <laughs> um, <laughs> So I, I, I would meet people and learn their stories and I was just fascinated by it. And um, so I started off at, in the travel industry, which was great because I love to travel um, and learned about travel agents. And then as a military spouse, we were getting ready to move to Virginia um, from Miami and the part of Virginia where we were moving didn't have a lot of tourism travel type jobs that would be equal or somewhat on par with the level of responsibility and even pay that I was um, getting in my corporate job. And I also just kind of got sick as a military spouse. If anybody's watching, it's so exhausting every two to three years when you move or even more frequently right. start over because as everyone knows, you don't really get a job by just applying to the black hole of the universe. You have to know people to get in the door, to get your resume seen or yeah, resume seen. Um, <laughs> and um, when you're moving to a new place all the time, you don't have networks established where you can just do that. So it takes months upon months upon months to establish that just to get considered. Um, and then as soon as you get that, your foot in the door, you have to move again. And then there's all these other challenges. Um, yeah. That unfortunately military spouses have to face when an employer, even if you're not forthright and say I'm a military spouse, which I always have been because I think that it's a skill that adds to my resume. But a lot of military spouses don't want to be forthright about it because there's a belief out there that employers are somewhat biased against hiring military spouses because of their constant right. moving. Um, and I can understand that from a business owner standpoint, but at the same time, everybody in this new economy is sort of switching yes. jobs all the time. So, yes. you know, we could go on this topic forever, but basically. And we will in a few minutes. <laughs> <laughs> but basically um, I was tired of like going to the job fairs and turning in my resume and like being told that, yeah, despite the fact that you led 300 people in combat and did military intelligence analysis for the U S commander of central command and you know, have an MBA from a really great university, you should probably consider being a UPS driver. You know, it's like, yeah, I, I think being a UPS driver is a great career, but I didn't spend you know, over $100,000 to get my MBA to do that. You know? right. <laughs> um, and so this is the story you hear from spouses all the time. Um, so I decided to start my business. That's, that's my long way of saying that's how I decided to start my travel agency. Um, and after a couple years into it, I was finding success and I was really getting excited and always in the back of my mind, I was like, you know, I'd really like to build a team of people who are like me and we can serve all types of client needs. Um, and increasingly I was getting involved in military spouse groups and hearing more stories about challenges in unemployment. I became aware that unemployment levels were like 26% among military spouses, whereas the economy was so well that the U.S. general population was around 4%. And it just mm -hmm. blew my mind because how, you know, we had as a nation sort of strapped down 
and taking care of veterans employment issues. That was the problem five to 10 years ago. Um, Veterans employment was like, I think around 12%, whereas uh, spouses were double that. Yeah. And so there are all these nationwide initiatives, large corporate initiatives to hire veterans. Now veterans unemployment is slightly less than general, the general population, but the spouses are still floundering. So trying to wrap this up. Sorry. (laughs) It's okay. You're telling it perfectly. (laughs) Um, That's not my skill. Uh, Brevity is not my skill. Um, Neither is it mine. So you're in good company. (laughs) Okay, good. <laughs> um, so basically, uh, with the help of my business coaches, who were the the fine ladies at the Global Institute for Travel Entrepreneurs. Yep. Um, Go ahead, say their names. Yeah, Meredith Hill, Jen Cochran, Vanessa McGovern. Um, we decided that it was time for me, even though it felt early um, in my travel agent career, to start bringing on military spouses and veterans. Um, to teach them how to start their own careers in travel and just that be like my main why, what I was doing. Um, And frankly, that was more, even more inspiring than the idea of planning trips for other people. Um, And so like that just drove me to create this environment where any type of person who is committed to service. So far, we're all military spouses, um, with the exception of one. We have one new civilian advisor, um, where people who have been yanked around essentially because they've made this choice in their life to live a life of service um, have a place to develop a career that they can take wherever they go um, using passions that they have for travel and skills that they've acquired as military spouses traveling. A a lot of my, actually probably all of the spouses that are on my team have lived overseas at one point or another, whether it's Germany, Italy, Japan, England, um, Hawaii. uh, They have these like, they have these skills that you can't necessarily replicate by just um, visiting a place every once in a while. They've lived there. They've gotten really local knowledge, but they didn't take it for granted. Plus a lot of them are educated, you know, masters in fine arts, um, bachelors in business, you know, but they just can't get jobs that are up to the conventional corporate jobs. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so, we what we've done is created a place where people like that can use their passion their experience their skills but also be in a group of like-minded people who know who know the challenges to develop their own individual careers and the only thing i forgot to say was when i first started as a travel agent my focus was um for my clients um was um selling travel that is relationship building Um, because to me over my life and my travel memories, the best memories of travel are those moments with the people that you love. Um, and so it wasn't necessarily a particular destination though. Of course, I know Italy really well, having lived there, um, or, uh, I am from Montana, so I can do a lot of really great national park type trips, um, I will say I did market that, but at the same time, it's all about relationship building to me. So that's why I named my business Kinship Vacations 
And it's all about just how you can um, strengthen your relationship, whether you're a romantic couple or a family that needs to get away from the daily grind and really reconnect. Um, so I forgot to mention that, how that's relevant to my past life or my, not my past life, yeah. my earlier life. Yeah. Um, you know, just having moments where like my husband was in Iraq for a year and he comes back and I, I was always on top of like, we're going to Costa Rica for a week because we need to reconnect or we're going to Hawaii for a week because we need to reconnect. Like all of those moments that I experienced knowing that travel can really bring people together is what was sort of my message in the beginning too. I, I, I can definitely <laughs> empathize with that because um, I've had people in my life where I traveled with them and I didn't feel like the connections happened during the trip. And it kind of felt like a gap and a loss, even though it was in a place where it should have been phenomenal. It really was not just about, you know, the place that you were at, but the person you were with. So um, before we move on to how you're becoming a mentor to travel advisors, how you're building this other network of military spouses, let's talk a little bit about more who, if, if travelers are watching, if they, they bump into you, um, who would be your ideal client? Describe that person so that if somebody's watching, they go, well, that's kind of me. And you kind of started down that path just now. Okay. Yeah. So, well, the funny thing is, cause now I'm an agency owner and I have some really great um, uh, agents on my team. So as a representative of my agency, it's sort of hard to easily answer that because we all have different specialties. For example, right. we have a Disney specialist on our team. We have a Hawaii specialist, Japan specialist, um, an autism travel specialist. Um, we've got a girlfriend getaway. Uh, we've got lots of different really cool specialties on our team. So it's very likely if you just approached me with almost any type of trip, I could match you with somebody on my team. Um, or if not, then I have a really strong connection to other travel advisors in the industry outside of my team where I would refer you to one of them. Um, and that's one of the things I love about this industry too is, or at least it's the a way- It's generous industry. Yeah, at least the way like I play in it and my colleagues that I trust play in it, we're generous with each other. Um, but like for me specifically, I've sort of narrowed it down quite a bit because I do spend most of my time, um, training and mentoring other agents now. So for my clients now, um, I, I like to do, ugh, <laughs> if I could ever talk, <laughs> by the You're way, I'm, fine. <laughs> I'm recovering from a cold this week. I hope it's not coronavirus, but yeah, it doesn't seem like it is. Um, so I like to work with groups um, specifically with other small businesses or affinity groups. Um, like I sent a, a group of, it's a cool little group called wine women in wilderness and they're out of Montana, just a small little group and they like to go hiking. And when they're done, they'll go hiking in Montana. And when they're done um, the, one of the leaders of the group is a certified sommelier and she'll do like a wine tasting with little tapas after they're done. And so this group went on a group, cruise to Bordeaux on Ama waterways. And I, I worked with the group leaders to provide them some incentives. So I love to work with either small businesses or, you know, hobby groups like that to do um, fun ways for them to take their followers or their teams or whatever across the world to bond together, to develop that camaraderie 
and also opportunities for them to have, um, in many cases, you know, discounted, if not almost free travel, depending on the size of the trip. Um, and that's some logistics we can get into later if, if that piques your interest as a potential group leader. Um, and then the other type of client I'm taking on now is what I'm calling my annual travel planning package clients. Um, and this is for somebody who is a frequent traveler. Um, like one of my clients is a, a busy family. They're both professionals. They've got two kids and um, they just don't, they have the means to pay for nice vacations. Their time is limited, so they certainly can't plan for it. They can't um, sit down and do all of the research and the, the, the logistics. But basically what they say to me is like, we have these dates this year coming up that we want to take a vacation. Here's some broad ideas of what we want to do, but also let me know like what we should be considering. And so I'll develop them a plan for the whole year that includes something like a family vacation with the kids, a vacation with just the parents, you know, a girlfriend getaway for the mom, a dad's, you know, golfing trip so that everybody can kind of get their ideal travel planning and for the year. Um, I like to work with clients like that because I really get to know them and the ones that trust my knowledge of the wide open world allow me to be really creative with like, oh, well, this event's happening here and I think you'd really enjoy it. So let's try to schedule um, a trip for you here. Um, and then of course, if they have like a trip that's sort of out of my wheelhouse, I will consult with one of my experts, like my Disney expert. I'll have her help me with their Disney portion so that I'm not, so I'm making it the best trip possible for them. But, but generally speaking, I like to work with people who are culturally curious, who mm -hmm. like to taste the foods, drink the drinks, um, but also like to have a nice thread count on their bed and be comfortable. <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. Because, you know, honestly, I, you know, I could live in Afghanistan for a year. <laughs> I never, I never did the hostile thing, you know, because my, my youth was a little bit different than others. I'm sure if I wasn't in the army, there would have been some studying abroad and stuff, but right. um, I'm 35. I just, or no, am I 36? I'm 30. <laughs> You're too busy. You don't even know. <laughs> you yeah, slow down a bit. I just turned 36. <laughs> Jesus. I, I don't even know how old I am. Okay. <laughs> um, I, you know, I just, I, I like to have a comfortable bed, a nice hotel room. I, There's I like to order room service on occasion. So I appreciate when clients are like, um, I want to experience the local life, but I don't necessarily want to forego some of the comforts of a boutique four or five star hotel. So that's who I love to work with because I I'm right there with you. Like that's, <laughs> that's what I like, how I like to travel when I can. So I love this thread <laughs> of relationships that goes throughout your business. Um, you know, you talked a little bit about how you love to do groups and maybe it's an incentive group, or maybe it's a group of people with a like, uh, a similar like a similar hobby um, and how you like to plan things where they can bond together. And of course, you know, your whole history of seeing um, couples travel as an opportunity for two people to be together. And now you're talking about this sort of annual travel um, program that you're working with. And I'm guessing it's through Virtuoso. Um, no. It's my own. Oh, it's your own program. Yeah. Okay. 
Um, yeah, but, Virtuoso does have a program like that, but um, our agency is no longer affiliated with Virtuoso. So gotcha. we do our own thing. But I, I love the fact that to do that means you have to have a relationship with the client. Mm-hmm. And, and I think, you know, one of the things that I'm trying to get through with these travel advisor interviews um, is that so many people, you've heard it. In fact, I've heard you repeat it to me a couple of times that everybody thinks that travel advisors went out with the buggy whip um, and they don't understand, well, why would I do that? And, you know, when you have a relationship with somebody as an advisor, as an accountant, as a whatever, um, a travel advisor, you know, that person gets to know you. They get to know your likes and your dislikes. They get to know whether or not you need a thousand thread count or a 500 thread count. <laughs> yeah. And when somebody gets to know you, it's not just the product that gets delivered, but it's that relationship that develops over time. Without naming names, do you have any clients where you're like, oh my God, I treasure this relationship? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Can you describe them a little bit without giving them away? Sure. Um, So uh, this is a family that I met through my cousin. um, And it's interesting because my cousin lives down in Scottsdale, Arizona, and I I haven't lived in Arizona for years, but I have a a nice pool of clients in like Arizona, um, (laughs) basically that are connected to my cousin. Um, And um, this, like, uh, this is actually kind of who I was talking about with this annual travel planning package that I do. Uh, she's a, um, she's an executive in, I'm not really sure she's an executive. Um, and he is a doctor and they have, um, two sets of kids. One is like the older kids that they are, they're, they're out of the house, they're married and occasionally they'll vacation with them. And then they also have two younger kids who are like, uh, elementary middle school age and they're always sort of trying to get I love how they're always trying to do vacations with all the kids or some of the kids and um, having such busy lifestyles that they do um, they're always just coming to me and like hey uh, we want to go here can you just put together what you recommend (laughs) Um, and you know they're not like gazillionaires but they they have a a realistic budget every time um which i will i will just preface this with saying a lot of times i work with clients who come to me and they say i want to go to you know greece and then they give me a budget and i'm looking at it as an advisor i'm thinking that's going to be low but i'm going to continue to talk to them because i don't think most people know what travel costs and i don't think that people are coming at you with unrealistic budgets thinking that you're going to, you know, pull some magic out of a hat and give them something that doesn't exist. I just think people don't know how much it costs. So um, I just wanted to throw a good point. Yeah. I just want to throw my two cents out there, there, because I hear a lot of travel agents talking about that. And I just think that's how it is. So anyway, um, so uh, I just love that they're always so like, um, they're just so nice about like they're always just like do what you do your magic and then uh, honestly the first or second trip I did with them I actually screwed up something and I but the thing is I came totally I came totally clean with them I was like like this is my fault I'm gonna eat it you know it wasn't a high um there wasn't gonna, was gonna, yeah it was just like a weekend trip um and I feel like ever since then, 
because I just was like totally upfront with them and just said, this is my fault. I screwed this up. I ate the cost. Um, they've been even more gracious and more, you know, willing to work with me and wanting to work with me. Um, and just like letting me be creative about their trips. Um, and what was cool was they did a trip to Montana this year to go to Yellowstone and Glacier National Park. And I happened to be there visiting my family. So um, I, you know, I was in the same town when they were flying in. So I met them at the airport, which is not very normal for me because most, I don't ever really have local clients. I wow. used almost all my work virtually. I met them at the airport with like a bag of, you know, healthy snacks because I knew they were going to drive about three hours to Yellowstone. And when we got there, um, we realized that they had booked their own rental car and the rental car facility was not at the airport. It was a little ways away. So I loaded them in my Durango. Thank goodness. I had, <laughs> thank goodness I had recently cleaned it because, oh my God, um, and drove them there, you know, and like, I wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily do that for every client, but I just, I love these people. And, um, and, uh, you know, I just wanted to make sure they were taken care of and, um, they had a fabulous time and they'll continue to recommend me. And, um, I don't know, it's just, maybe it's just a, maybe you can't put your finger on it. It's just like, you know, when you meet somebody and you just kind of click, like, yes, that's the type of client that, that I'm talking about where we just clicked and it's worked out and, I hope people are clicking with you right now. I hope there's something resonating in someone where they say, yeah, that's different because A, you're never going to get that working directly with a hotel or an airline. I mean, some people who travel at extremely high levels get platinum call centers or whatever, mm -hmm. but they're not going to get that relationship, that attention that mm -hmm. somebody like you who only gets paid when someone travels, right? Or do you have, you have some fee services as well? I do charge fees and, and that's something that I think is important to um, talk about too, if you're open to that. <laughs> let's, let's do, because what, you know, one of the things that we're trying to convey through these interviews is that, I mean, you're getting a person with an MBA, you know, you've got uh, two other agents that we've interviewed this week with years of experience in business and in their profession and paying them an appropriate um, income means you get the better service. Otherwise, you know, paying nothing means you get Expedia. And I don't want to bash Expedia, but that's what you get. You know, Expedia charges Marriott to book that room for you, but you get Expedia level service. So yeah, what? tell me a little bit about your fee structure and how did you come about, you know, uh, applying that so that cl client said, no, I'm totally cool with that. Well, um, it's not so much about my fee structure that I, I want to talk about. It's, and I mm -hmm. can if you want, but it's just the philosophy of fees that I try to um, teach the people I'm mentoring or colleagues right. in the industry. Um, and I don't think people think about this in this way enough because number one, our industry, um, for those who are watching who don't know, travel agents' primary compensation is commission from the suppliers that we pay to. And or that we book clients for. I, am I saying that correctly? <laughs> okay, by the way, I'm also very pregnant, guys. So I also have a <laughs> brain. Not the most opportune time for 
coronavirus and an interview. <laughs> right? No, it's never, nothing is ever a good time for anything, right? Um, no, but I always like to talk to Richard. So <laughs> I will always say yes. Um, but, uh, oh my gosh, I totally lost my train of thought. So we were talking about your philosophy on food. Oh yeah. Okay. So, so for those who don't know, when you're watching um, primary income is commission through suppliers and that varies widely, you know, from 3% for a rail ticket in Europe, all the way up to, you know, maybe 20% for like a, a luxury cruise type of um, right. sailing. So for, you know, for those who don't know that, that's sort of, think about that in your mind, we're not getting paid. Like it's not lifestyles of the rich and famous here. Um, but so what that leads to is there's a lot of agents in the industry who don't charge anything else. Their primary commission, their primary compensation is commission. And so I believe it creates sort of a subconscious um, need to work with suppliers who pay higher commission rates versus taking care of the client's mo the the client's highest interest. Um, and you know, taken on a case by case basis, most agents out there have their client's best interest in mind. It's not the primary driver, but you can't help but understand that like psychological impact that there is if there's a package with company a and a package with company b and they're similar this one pays 18 percent commission this one pays 15 percent 15 percent commission you know which which one am i going to sell so um and i hope this isn't too controversial for you to talk about richard this it's is never too controversial okay. it's the facts yeah okay so um and i don't think like again most agents out there have their clients' best interest in mind. It's not a really a problem. But right. what I think the fee does is, you know, number one, uh, the commission is paid to the, the travel advisors as compensation for them. Thank you for bringing this client to me. Right. The fee is a transaction between the advisor and the client that is saying, the client is saying, thank you for taking the time to research, to take care of me you're going to pay that commission amount to the supplier, most likely no matter what, whether you book with an agent or not. Right. Um, so there's, there's two different compensations happening here. But the overarching thing that I want people to remember is if I'm charging a client a fee that compensates me for my time and my research and my expertise, I'm going to be less incentivized by commissions. And so I'm going to be able to provide them the best itinerary, the best experience that I think is going to work best for them because I feel like I'm adequately compensated for what I'm providing to them. I'm not going to be chasing commissions. And like, frankly, a lot of my agents do what we call FITs, fully independent travel, or there's a lot of, yeah, descriptions for that, that acronym. acronym. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> but basically where you piece together a custom package for a client. Yep. Complex, uh, very difficult to do. Usually not in America. Usually FITs are places where airfares are, you know, you've got to be manipulated and figured out. So FITs for anybody who's listening, when you, when you call a travel advisor and you say, I'm going to do these cities and I want this kind of experience and these different types of hotels, it's, it's quite a lot of work. It's not mm -hmm. a simple transaction. Yeah. And a lot of times you can't just go to one supplier and say, you know, 
make this happen for me. You're piecing right. together, like Richard said, different hotels, different tour operators, rail tickets, you know, ground transportation, all that stuff. It's very labor intensive. Um, but also, you know, like my, my agents have lived in places like Stuttgart, Germany. And when there's a Oktoberfest, you know, a client who wants to go to Oktoberfest, they have done this specific Oktoberfest tent for three years and they know it's the best one in Stuttgart, but there's no supplier that works with travel agents to make that um, happen for them. So rather than my advisor saying, no, oh, I'm not going to book that experience because they don't work with travel agents. They don't pay commission. I'm going to go with this other one that I actually don't really know anything about, but I kind of know that it's not the best tent because I know where the best tent is by my experience. They've collected a fee. They feel like they're compensated for their time. So they're okay with having you book with this Oktoberfest tent where they're not going to make any extra money off of it because they know you're going to have best an experience. amazing time yeah. and they're they're getting compensated for their time to help plan you a trip. So, I mean, I feel like uh, as serious travelers who want to work with a professional, there's a mutual respect with time and expertise. And I feel like most people would find that a reasonable arrangement. You know, I pay you, you're going to give me the best experience that I can. That's within my means, essentially. Well, my, my accountant never says, Oh, thanks for picking up the phone, Rich. Uh, I'm not billing you for this. So <laughs> right. we already accept that for people who have skill sets that we don't possess. We already accept, oh, you're going to charge me for that advice. Okay, I value you. I just yeah. wish more people valued travel advisors, which is why I kind of like the new phrase. I, you know, Anybody who's watching, you've heard the phrase travel agent and agent sounded more transactional. And recently the industry has said, no, I advise people I'm not an agent for the supplier. So that's part of the reason why you'll hear me use the word advisor more often. Mm -hmm. Let's segue now to how you're dropping the pebble in the pool and the ripples are now going out from this experience that you've had creating a business to the businesses you're helping other military spouses create. Because as you said, it is one way for a military family to try to address the household income issue that they have given how we structure pay for our military families. Mm -hmm. I like that um, metaphor. It, it makes me feel so. You're at the center of the, the ripples. Yeah. It makes me feel like a butt, like it makes me feel so Zen and. <laughs> I'm glad. <laughs> um, so thank you for that. Metaphor. Well, just remember that when your contractions start. You're yeah. The... <laughs> okay. You're, you're, you and your metaphor are exactly what I'm going to be thinking of Richard. <laughs> I don't know how that makes you feel now. <laughs> I'm going to tell my husband that too. He's yes, gonna... exactly. You're going to have to tell him. <laughs> um, well, yeah. I mean, I just, some. It's, it's weird to say, like, sometimes I look at the community that's, um, that I've created. Uh, and even it's hard for me to say that I've created. Um, and I, and I can't believe it. It's just so cool. But then on the other hand, I can believe it because I know all these individuals out there that are, have so much talent and so much to give, just no vehicle to give it to. And I'm merely showing in a, them an option and hopefully creating a safe space for them to explore that option. Um, 
But like, I just think about people on my team, like Crystal Eicher, who you interviewed the other day with Serendipitous Traveler. Um, She, uh, you know, she's one of those people who just has so much to give and so much, she's so intelligent and just energetic and um, driven. And um, for years it was stifled because she, she had to be the primary caretaker number one for her child with special needs and her husband was deployed like constantly. Um, and so, you know, there's other factors there, but at the same time, like it feels so cool to have had serendipity bring us together. Um, and you know, I don't even know like what percentage I can claim for her stepping into what she is maybe 3% because it's all her. It's just me sort of like saying, look at this opportunity, you know? Um, and she's given back so much to the community that we have now. So she's creating her own ripples. (laughs) Um, and then, you know, somebody like Dina farmer with Lillian Magnolia travel, she was the first person to join my team. Um, she also has a child with special needs and she's recently turning her business to, focus on special needs travel. Um, She's an Air Force veteran, Air Force spouse. Same thing when she left the Air Force, you know, one common thread is like a lot of us who are doing this um, didn't, not just for the, for the added additional household income. Um, We as mom, because we're all moms in my team now, um, didn't want to just be at home with our kids as stay-at-home moms. And I actually wanted to give it a try when I first had my first daughter, you know, and I thought it would be cool, but I went stir crazy after a while. So you're like, <laughs> <laughs> it's not for me. So I just want to put it out there. Like, I think what stay-at-home moms do are amazing. And if I could like develop structure and, you know, be one of those cool, like, stay-at-home moms that has like structure and stuff, then, you know, that would be awesome, but I can't. Um, Work is sort of an escape for me. Um, All of us wanted to do something other than being stay-at-home moms. So um, for Dina, it's the same thing. You know, she, you know, wanted to do something. She tried some other things and finally she found travel and it's, it's stuck. Um, And, you know, she contributes to our community too. She's creating her own ripples. Like she's a brilliant Instagrammer and she has really great um, photography and design skills. So she's always teaching anybody that we come across those skills to help them yeah. uplevel their business. So I don't feel like I've done that much other than attract these people who are like doing their own things. And somehow I get to be lucky enough to be in the middle of it and <laughs> benefit from what they're doing. Um, so but that's, that's, but that is a talent because. <laughs> Um, great people leaders I have found in 55 years of living, although I wasn't paying too much attention when I was tiny, um, <laughs> great people leaders. And I was told this by, um, David Peresky who owned Thomas Cook travel. And I was sitting in his office one day for lunch and we were just chit-chatting cause I was ahead of his public relations for North America. And we were waiting for a, a media person to call and I was talking about leadership with him. And he said, you know, Rich, you can tell a great leader by the people around them. Because great leaders attract great people, but don't control them. They kind of let them go and do what Mm -hmm. they need to do. And that's great leadership. And maybe, you know, 
is there a corollary to your military training that, I mean, I would always have thought that a great leader in the military is a command and control kind of person. Is the modern American military different? And does the modern American military say, no, you've got to help people just go be the best they can be in their role? Is that, do you think there's any connection? Ooh, that's another topic we could talk about. <laughs> we could do a whole interview on that. <laughs> <laughs> well, not but that... after you give birth, I'm going to wait. Okay, thanks. <laughs> after I'm uh, going through contractions, thinking of Richard. of the rippling ponds. <laughs> um, well, not to toot my own horn, but I think I was a leader before I joined the military. I was uh-huh. like a track captain, and you know choir captain whatever that means yes I was a a nerdy glee kid um but but yeah like it it is interesting because um I do think the military has evolved especially with the the last 20 years the global war on terrorism I do think that um I mean I wasn't in the military before 9-11 so I can't say this so this is just my perspective of leaders that I've had in the military that were and their style versus, and then also just observing people like my stepdad. Right. Um, before the GWAT, as we call it, um, there was more of a command and control. Um, and it made sense because at that time, our foes were conventional armies, like exactly. the military. Yes. Um, and that requires a very specific hierarchical structure to be successful. But our new foe um, in Afghanistan and Iraq were wearing civilian clothes and hiding in mosques. And um, it's just not as clear. And so the everyday soldier has to be extremely emotionally intelligent and um, aware and hypersensitive to cues that (laughs) sometimes you just can't train. You know, it's just these situations that we've asked 18, 19, 20 year olds to be in over the last 20 years to decide if that man on the corner who looks shady, but isn't necessarily doing anything yet. You just had a couple of your friends blown up the other day by someone who looks shady, but you didn't do something about like just all these situations that we put people in um, where we have to use instincts and just a wide variety of social cultural knowledge um, and, just, and not wait for a command. Exactly. We yeah. have, we have asked so much. Uh, we have put so much authority on the individual soldier out of necessity of the fight. Um, and, you know, for junior leaders, like I was, when I first joined, um, I went into Afghanistan 21 years old and led a convoy to <laughs> convoy of trucks to, you know, wherever. And my, I was in charge of the lives of the 20 people on that, you know, convoy. If, if we had a vehicle driving between our vehicles that we, you know, our SOP was to not let them do that, to try to make them go away because in case it was a vehicle born um, explosive device, like one time we had a vehicle driving between our, our vehicles and we were trying to get him to go and he wouldn't. And so I had to make the call. Do we like shoot this guy? Um, And so like, I just remember like, you know, thinking after that occurrence happened, we didn't shoot him. We 
we ended up pointing our one of our big guns at him and he moved but we didn't shoot him um but like thinking later that day like you know whatever split decision I might have made a year from this day like a year ago I was studying for like an art history final exam (laughs) in college you know just like what a weird what a weird world we live in um so anyway I guess long story short um I do think today's military leader is a little bit more adaptive a little bit more fluid and we you know at least in Afghanistan for sure we were under resourced because most of the resources were pulled to Iraq so we had to accomplish these things. They would just say, do it, figure it out with minimal resources. And so <laughs> the life you know, of an entrepreneur. Exactly. So um, it's all relative. Like every, you know, I believe, you know, that everything in life happens for a reason. And, you know, I have definitely used some of those skills Um that I've acquired in the military, but also I do think part of my personality is that I'm just generally not a it's okay. person. It's okay to say you're a born leader. It's well, okay, Ashley, <laughs> because well, everybody around you says that. So it's okay. Well, thank you. Accept that praise. <laughs> so we're gonna wrap up. Um, we are now in a position where you can't, really book anybody or, or maybe you can maybe you are getting phone calls for the fall for the winter for 2021 um as you think about finally getting on the road again for yourself mm-hmm. where do you think is going to be the first place you want to visit when these these travel bans are lifted and the contagion well you're going to have a brand new baby so um <laughs> that may be a bit of a restriction we didn't plan for um <laughs> But, but what's the one place that's on your agenda next? Well, I actually have a trip planned, excuse me, for Slovenia in October. It's my favorite place in the world. Oh. Um, and I'm planning on taking other travel agents with me. Um, I have a partner in Slovenia who works for the Slovenian Tourism Board that's helping me with it. Um, and we're in contact pretty regularly nowadays. And we're just sort of waiting and seeing because we don't know, you know, so um, whether or not that that trip happens, um, I will go to Slovenia in a heartbeat and I would gladly take my baby and my family because it's a very family friendly place. Um, I have heritage there, so I haven't taken my daughter yet and I really want her to see, um, you know, some of her heritage. Um, And, uh, but you know, it's kind of funny. I'm not normally like a fun and son, like lay, by the beach type of gal but with this coronavirus I keep having like visions of like when when all this stuff lifts just taking the family to like Mexico and hanging out yes I don't know why uh, because that's I, I'm neither like- either but I, I get you I totally get you like a week of doing nothing but getting up late going down to the to the to the breakfast place coming back to the room, picking up your beach stuff and just chilling for hours. Oh my God. Yeah. Isn't that funny? Because like we, I mean, we're all busy in the travel industry right now, but theoretically with quarantine, we're all just like chilling (laughs) too, you know, but, and I, the other thing is I keep like imagining a really good margarita and I can't have a margarita right now. So (laughs) 
<laughs> I'm just like, yeah, margaritas at, you know, 11 a.m. Nothing <laughs> wrong with that. Nothing to be ashamed of. So, Slovenia. I'm, now, what, what's the capital of Slovenia? I'm trying to remember. Ljubljana. Ljubljana. And yeah, I did not, when I was on an AMA cruise, I could have gone into mm-hmm. Slovenia on one of the group tours and I didn't. And um, I regret it because I've heard so much about the food, about mm-hmm. the wine culture. Um, I've just heard such great things. So I'm going to have to get back myself. Where are you going? Um, <laughs> if I can, I would like to take the kids to Italy because okay, the Ambrosio, yeah. I've never been there. Crazy oh, enough. Yeah. I've been everywhere else in Europe, but Italy. Um, have no idea why. And uh, it has been on my radar for 14 years. 14 well, years. Well, they'll, they'll appreciate I, your business. So I, yeah. I agree with your sentiment. Go to Italy. Yeah. I, I, I had a really powerful dream of me sitting on a patio at a really nice hotel on Lake Como drinking a beautiful glass of red wine. 14 years ago, I woke up from it in the middle of the dream. And ever since then, it's been on my mind. So I just got to make it happen now. Was George Clooney <laughs> nearby? No. <laughs> but I understand that's his place now. Yes, I understand he and his, his wife spent quite a bit of time there. I'll tell you, stay tuned. This guy, Mike, who's uh, the brother of a woman I know from Pisa, Italy. Mike lives on a hill opposite Richard Gere. So he was telling me about this the other day. And I'm like, in Valencia, Spain. Um, so, yeah, you know, it's amazing how people from, you know, people who we know have migrated to these places and mm-hmm. established these lives. And I know nothing about Valencia. I know nothing about Lake Como other than, but boy, get me the right travel advisor mm-hmm. to clarify what that experience would look like. And I'll, I'll, me and the kids were going and I've got oh, two who can drink too. So I can have, yeah, I can have a bottle with them. <laughs> Okay, Ashley, thank you for everything you've done. Thank you for the service. Please pass on to your husband our gratitude for his still serving his country, for our country. Good luck with the baby. Do you mind me asking, what's your due date? Uh, May 24th, and she's a girl. Okay. And thank you for what you're doing. You're always checking in. It's really keeping, keeping us all, you know, motivated and and still going so thank you for what you're doing you bet anytime and tonight at about eight o'clock i'm going to be interviewing a guy who lives in manila who's currently in vietnam i don't know if he's calling me or he's going to go live from vietnam or manila but um this has been the greatest joy is talking to people from all over the world who have one great passion this thing travel and it's you know wow i get to do it this is fun Yes. So thank you so much. God bless you. And I yeah. can't wait to hear what the baby's name is. <laughs> you don't need to tell me. Okay. All right. I'll wait until May the 25th. All right. Take care. Take care. Yep. Bye. Bye. Be sure to check out travelunitesus.com for all the latest from the Travel Unites Us community.